Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are of the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Now in Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. For this is another opportunity that we have to study together. And I pray that you'd help us, O Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth. I pray for our physical strength. I pray, God, for clearness of thought and speech and Help me to be a blessing, to be a help to your people. Teach us, Lord, the things that we need to know tonight. And I pray that uh, you just meet the need of each one and the requests that have been made of prayer. We pray, Lord, that you would grant these needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk about uh, the Spirit's work of adoption. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Regeneration gives us the nature of children. Adoption gives us the rights of children. Now, our redemption was for the purpose of our adoption. This is a blessing to me. I really never thought of it, I don't think, in, uh, in that sense. Why did the Lord redeem us? For what purpose? Well, one reason is for our adoption. Look at verse 5 here in Galatians 4 to redeem them that were under the law. He said, here he sent his son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. For what purpose? That we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, when we think of adoption, we think of uh, maybe someone that's not able to have children physically and of their own, and therefore they adopt someone else's child, a child that was not born to them. But adoption, as it's spoken of in the Bible, does not mean that at all. It means the placing of a son. It's a son that is physically born into the family, into that husband and wife. And when the child reaches a certain age, then the child uh, goes through this process of adoption. And at that time, they become eligible and have all the rights and privileges of a son. Up to that time, in fact, you read the scripture preceding this, up to that time they were treated as a servant. But then they have a right to all the inheritance. So why did the Lord redeem us? Because I believe that he wanted us to share in his glory and share in the inheritance that he has. Of course, it all belongs to God, we know that. The heaven, even the heavens of the Lord's. 
But the earth hath he given to the children of men. But the Bible also said, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So it all belongs to him. But he wanted you and I to have a part in it. Isn't that wonderful? And, uh, you know, uh, the tenants in people to want to acquire things, to have a piece of property in the house and things of this world, uh, you know, I don't think in itself that that is naturally wrong. The problem is it is sometimes it gets, there's no restraint upon it in it. Uh, but uh, uh, that, uh, that natural tendency toward those things. Uh, I think the, the thing the Lord wants us is to center our attention on the future, not on the present, because all of this is going to pass away. And uh, to look forward to uh, what we have uh, by rights of adoption, of being adopted, of being redeemed and adopted into God's family. That, that gives us a right to all that the Lord has. And that was a special blessing to me. I hope it is to you. In Ephesians 1, verse 5 through 7, he says, uh, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted, in the Beloved, that is, in Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Notice, He predestinated us unto the adoption of children, that uh, we would uh, have this inheritance, and we'll see that in a little bit, and uh, this is all brought about through the adoption process. So we're not only redeemed, from sin and hell, but we have far more than that. We are adopted as children. And uh, this is a wonderful truth. Now notice the person that made all this possible, verse 6 of Galatians 4. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts crying out by Father. The Holy Spirit we've been studying about. Who is He? The Bible said here He is the Spirit of His Son. This uh, talks uh, about the Trinity. Uh, that uh, uh, the Spirit, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of the Son. The Spirit that was in Jesus Christ is the Spirit that is in the believer. He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, and your heart's crying out by Father. There you have the Spirit, there you have the Son, and there you have the Father. You have the Trinity again in this verse. Now, the Holy Spirit was involved in every aspect of the coming of Christ. In Luke 1, 35, you remember when Gabriel came there to Mary, and she said, how can this be? I know not a man. And uh, the angel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. How was Jesus conceived? By the Spirit of God himself. Uh, and notice in Galatians he said he's the Spirit, uh, the spirit of his Son. Uh, you know, uh, our minds sometimes cannot uh, take all that in. We can't fathom. I don't think all that's meant by that and all that's incorporated in that. 
that uh, Jesus Christ had a part in his, uh, you know, in his, in his own conception. How do you explain that? How do you understand that? That, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, if, if, if God is one, if God is a trinity and God is one and, and the spirit of his son and, and uh, he, he's all, all tied together into one God, then if he was conceived by the spirit of God, then uh, uh, he was there. Before, of course, we know the preexistence of Christ. We believe that, that he did not begin in the womb of the Virgin Mary, but he existed in all eternity. But he himself, uh, you know, was involved in that conception of himself <laughs> through the Spirit of God. And then at the baptism in Luke 3.22, you have the, the Spirit descending in the form of a dove upon Jesus there at his baptism. And then his ministry uh, in Luke uh, 4.1. Let me just uh, uh, look at that there in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. He said, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, at the beginning of his ministry, after his baptism, uh, his conception was by the Spirit of God. His baptism, the Spirit of God came upon him. And, uh, and I don't understand all that either. Uh, you know, he was God. And yet the Spirit of God empowered him there to begin his ministry. And we have here the Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Judah and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And in Matthew 12, 28, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. So... Uh, the person uh, behind this adoption, of course, is the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit dwells in Jesus. And that same Spirit dwells in the believer today. Uh, not only that, but we notice the place. Verse 6, again, in Galatians 4, Because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Where does the Spirit live? In our hearts. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, I remember uh, years ago when they, uh, they started doing heart transplants. Some people got all upset about that. They said, why, if you, you know, if you go out here, here's a man that has a bad heart, and you take, you go out here and get a man's heart, maybe that person's lost and, and you get his heart, put it in the same man, he's going to be lost now. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I heard people saying that back in those days. Well, when the Bible talks about the heart, he's not talking about the, the, the literal, physical heart that pumps the blood. Uh, so he's talking about the inner man. He's talking about the spirit of man. And the Holy Spirit lives in man's spirit that's, that's been redeemed and saved. Uh, the spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 2, the spirit is the part of man that knows. I mean, I can, uh, you know, uh, preach tonight or teach tonight, and you can hear and you can comprehend and understand. If we fill this building tonight full of animals, they couldn't understand. They don't have a spirit as we do in that sense. But uh, man has a spirit, and therefore it is... It is through man's spirit that the Holy Spirit comes to live. Uh, of course, that's, that's been 
uh, resurrected, by the way. The, uh, uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, you at the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And uh, that uh, uh, spirit is, is made alive, is resurrected. You know, a person that's lost, they're spiritually dead. And the Holy Spirit, God can't live around something that's dead. He can't live in something that's dead. Someone said that, uh, that no one ever died in the presence of Jesus. You study the Gospels. No one ever died in His presence. No one ever stayed dead in His presence. When He came across a dead person, He raised them from the dead. And so He cannot live in, in a man that is spiritually dead. A person has to be made alive. And that's what the new birth, that's what regeneration does. And when we're made alive spiritually, then the Holy Spirit, and of course the Holy Spirit is the one that makes us alive. He comes in us to live. Now the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And the only way to keep one's heart is for the Holy Spirit to keep us. And in Matthew 12.34, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. John Rice used to say, if a man's got a dirty mouth, it's because he's got a dirty heart. The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I used to work with a man uh, years ago. He was an elderly man. And uh, at 72, he was still working because I remember he could draw his Social Security and still work without having to give any of it back. And, uh, but he, he, was a, he was a fine Lutheran. He went to church every Sunday. But he had a dirty mouth. And I fear that that man had a dirty heart that had never been really redeemed and washed and made clean. And so the abundance of the heart of the mouth speaketh. So the Holy Spirit lives in the heart that has been redeemed and resurrected and made alive. Then I want to talk about the privileges that we have. Uh as, as uh, adopted children. The privileges. In verse 6 again, because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The first privilege we have is access. We have access to God. That's a privilege through the Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us access. I heard about a, a story uh, that happened back in the days of, uh, of President uh, Abraham Lincoln. And this fellow, this fellow was, uh, uh, was trying to get to see the president. And of course, uh, you know, there was, he'd been turned away. And, and there's a little fellow playing outside. And, and of course, in those days, you know, now they've got concrete barriers and everything else. You can't get in, uh, you know, uh, shouting distance, I don't guess. But... Uh, uh, you know, these little boys are playing and, and he, he talked to the little boy and, uh, about what he was there for and the little boy said, why, well, you know, I can get you to see the president. And he still thought, well, you know, I've, I've, tried, I've tried through these, the high officials. I haven't been successful. How in the world do you give me to see the president? He said, he's my daddy. <laughs> you want to see the president? You just come with me. He said, I can see him anytime I want to. And so we have access, we have access to the Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit lives in us, the Spirit of His Son lives in us, that gives us access. Now, in Romans 8, 
I'll turn back there and, and uh, read a verse in Romans 8, verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby uh, we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. Now this word Abba is an Aramaic word, and it's really the Hebrew word for Father. The Father is, is translated out of Greek, and it's a Gentile word for Father. I thought that was interesting. Now here you have the Hebrew word for Father and the Gentile word for Father. I'm also told that Abba is more of a personal, you know, the word is more personal than just Father. I never did call my dad Father. I always called him Daddy when I was growing up. You know, some people, I, they, they refer to him as Papa or whatever. But uh, I think my kids call Dad Papa, isn't that right? Isn't that what they, uh, they call Dad? And, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that personal, it's a little more personal word, seems like. But this is a privilege that we have access and we can go to, the, to the, our Heavenly Father and we can say, Father! And he, he would answer, Yes, son, what can I do for you? That's the access that we have. And uh, sometimes I, uh, I think we, uh, I think the Lord is amused sometimes by, by our so-called praying. Uh, that uh, uh, I heard, I think it was Curtis Hudson one time talking about and trying to illustrate it. And said some people pray, you know, uh, oh God, you know that heaped up the mountains and dipped out the oceans and on and on they go and quote verses and tell the Lord where they're at so he can look them up and see if they're there. And, and uh, uh, you know, I mean, if I went, and he, he illustrated, said, said if, if, if I'm sitting at the table, and you know, when I, was, I was sitting at the table when I was growing up and I'd, I'd have said to my father, Oh, Father! You know, who married so-and-so, my mother, and, and uh, had, had these children and named all the children down the line. Pass me the beans. He said he thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I think sometimes the Lord probably is amused by, by some of this so-called praying. Uh, what is praying anyway? Praying is asking. And I think the Lord, I think, I think we all respect God with with. with total respect and honor. But I think also we ought to go to the Lord as if we're His child, which we are. And we have access. We have that access by faith into the grace. And we have it through the Spirit of God. Now there's another interesting little note I wanted you to see in, in Romans 8, 15. Uh, we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Then in Galatians 4, 6, and because you're sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice a different word. Crying indicates continual action. You know, if, if a baby cries, then it may cry and stop. But if it's crying, <laughs> it may cry all night. <laughs> I know before Sandy was born, they were uh, my cousin. He had, uh, I guess, a boy at that time, two, two at that time. 
And he was talking about the first, uh, first boy he had there, first child, who happened to be a boy, and uh, had the colic for six months. And said so they carried that baby night and day, just about drove them crazy. And I tell you, he really had us, you know, we wanted to back out. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was too late. But anyway... Of course, in today's society, it wouldn't be, would you? Just always have them killed, I guess, if you're that kind of person. But, uh, uh, of course, it didn't work out. It all worked out fine. But uh, anyway, that crying. I, can you imagine that? Just cry, cry, cry. I want to encourage uh, Scott and Jennifer here all I can, you know. <laughs> but uh, this, uh, the crying, the, the continual crying. And that's what the, the Spirit of God not only cries out for us but he continues to do that you know the Bible says that uh, the devil accuses us night and day before the Father and don't you know Jesus Christ pleads their case the same amount of time if the devil if the devil brings accusation if, if he brings charges against us Revelation 12 if he if, you know uh, if you were charged with uh, with some kind of crime, you may not be guilty, but you would have to make some kind of defense, wouldn't you? And if you read First John, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is our attorney in heaven that pleads our case. And if the devil brings accusations, then the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, must uh, defend us night and day. Isn't that wonderful? We have access to the Father. And uh, I don't have to go through some, uh, some man. I don't have to confess my sins through a knot hole to some fellow's got his shirt on backwards. Uh, but uh, my dad, I think he was reminded us, he stopped by yesterday. And, and uh, uh, a fellow that, uh, or the priest, uh, years ago, this happened in Spruce Pine, I understand. And a fellow, you know, he is pretty much of a drunk. And he went up to the priest and said, uh, said, do you want a drink? He said, no, I don't drink. He said, you're lying, you're drunk now. You've got your shirt on backwards. <laughs> well, we have access to the Father. We don't have to go through some man. We can go directly to the Father. We do have to go through some man, but that man is Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Timothy tells us. Not only do we have access, but we have assurance. In Romans 8 and uh, verse uh, 16, Romans 8, 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is probably one of the most uh, misinterpreted verses in the Bible. One of, the, one, of the, one of the, kind of the top of the list, the Spirit itself bears witness to their spirit. And I've heard people say this, you know, well, I believe so-and-so saved because my spirit bears witness with their spirit. That's not what it says. You know, I believe they're saved because their spirit bears witness to one another. What does he say? The Spirit, notice the capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Not that someone else is. Now I can look at your fruit, your works, and say, well, I believe they're saved. I hear your testimony of what you believe about Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I can believe that you're a child of God by that. 
but uh, it doesn't say our spirit bears witness with one another. He said the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit bears witness. Now, how does he bear witness? If you study the book of 1 John, chapter 5 especially, uh, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit to the truth of God, to the Word of God. He does not operate contrary to the Word of God. People think that, well, I know I'm saved because I sure do feel like I'm saved. Well, you may feel lost tomorrow. You can't go by feeling. And anyone's ever, and I'm glad you can feel the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe He's real. And I treasure those times when, he, when he, He's so real. But you know as well as I do that before the day is out, it may seem that God's forsaken you forever, you know. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Or maybe the next week, where did the Lord, where did that power, where did that presence, where did that, you know, the, all that go? Where is the Lord? But the Word of God never changes, see. The Holy Spirit, that's the reason if people are doubting their salvation, always tell them to go to 1 John, read the book of 1 John, has five chapters. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lets you know. He'll bear witness with your spirit that the things that are said in that book are true about you. That's how, that's where you get assurance. Same way, same th way you get saved, same way you get assurance. The Word of God. So we have assurance in, in, in Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the Word of truth. Now notice the, uh, the uh, progression here. You trusted after you heard the Word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. So you heard the word, you trusted it, you believed it, or you believed it, then you trusted it. It says you were sealed without the Holy Spirit of promise, but not until, not until you've heard, not until you've believed, not until you've trusted. Are you sealed? Then you're sealed, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption, the purchase of possession, and of the praise of His glory. We have assurance. God will finish what he started. This adoption thing. This adoption gives us the privilege of access now to the Father, to the throne of grace. But it also gives us a right to everything that God has in the future. We will inherit. We, the Bible says we have an inheritance. And Peter, he talks about it. Uh, this uh, eternal inheritance that we have. And... Uh, we, the Holy Spirit gives us the assurance of that. He's the, he's the earnest money. He's the down payment. He's the guarantee that God will finish what he started. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. A person goes to buy a car and may say, well, I've got a couple more looking at this car, but if you'll give me a couple hundred dollars or so, then I'll save the car for you. He said, well, I'm really interested, but, but uh, I, you know, I don't think I want to give any money. Well, I can't guarantee. I can't hold the car then. If you want me to hold it, you must give the money. No, I, I don't think I want to do that. So you go back in a week and the car is sold. What's wrong with you? I told you I liked that car. I told you I wanted that car. Yes, and I told you if you'd give me some money, I'd hold it for you, but you didn't, so I sold it to another fellow. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of people one day, there's no awareness might have been put down. 
and they think they're going to get in, and they're going to be left out. But everybody that has the Holy Spirit is guaranteed a finished transaction. God cannot, God will not, God's bound himself by his word. He will not go back on his promise. I mean, it's, it's yours if you have the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee. He's the earnest. These are privileges. Now, there are many others, but these are a couple of the privileges that we have as uh, children of God. Then I want you to notice uh, the promise. Verse 7 of Galatians chapter 4. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, this is the promise that we will be an heir of God. We've already touched on that some. The Bible said in Psalm 16 verse 5, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. The Lord is the portion. It's kind of like the tribe of Levi when they went into the land. They didn't get, they didn't get any land. They didn't get any possession. They had the, uh, the cities there scattered throughout uh, Israel. But uh, the Lord was their portion and uh, their inheritance. Genesis 15, 1, the Lord tells Abram there, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, Abram had left it all. Of course, he was, Abram became a very wealthy man. God not only made him wealthy here, but uh, he, of course, he made him wealthy in the world to come. But uh, uh, he had left his family, he had left his country, he had left the security of, of his homeland. And the Lord said, Fear not, I'm your shield and I'm your reward. That's the promise. He says, You're no more a servant but a son. And you have a son than an heir of God through Christ. But then there's persecution. I want you to turn back to Romans 8. Romans 8. Along with the privileges of adoption comes trouble. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful not to have the persecution with it. <laughs> But uh, persecution is going to come. But you know persecution is good for folks. The early church had a tough time, but they grew by unbelievable numbers. The church don't do very well when they're doing good, when there's no, no trouble. We don't do very good spiritually when we don't have a lot of trouble. Uh, I was listening to a tape, Brother Marlowe let me have, and uh, this fellow used to be a missionary in China, and he was talking about the growth of the believers there and so forth. And so they were praying that persecution might come on the Christians in America. <laughs> because through, you know, through all the hard times they've endured, the church has prospered and grown. And you find that. You, you cannot study the Bible. Tribulation worketh patience. <laughs> And patience, hope. And uh, we don't like it, though, do we? Don't like it at all. I don't like, you know, I like, like things to go smooth. I don't like persecution. But uh, persecution is, is uh, a part of it. You know, I mean, uh, 
It's just like it's just like a, the little you know when when you were a little baby, a little toddler. Uh, I mean, you know, the problems of life, the problems of the family, or whatever, the burdens, the responsibilities, didn't, didn't bother you. Uh, you know, uh, you didn't you didn't have any of that responsibility. Did they want any persecution? But once you grow up, and and uh, just like when I was home. Uh, and uh, I didn't have to pay any of the bills and, and any of that, you know. But then when I got out of my own and I had all the, you know, you have more freedom, but you got all, you got more responsibility. <laughs> we're ours, but we're not only ours, we're joint ours with Christ. He can't, he can't deny us. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't want to, but even if he wanted to, he couldn't. <laughs> Jesus, you know, this business, you can lose your salvation. I don't know how in the world people... People can believe that and read the Bible. Uh, I mean, Jesus Christ would have to deny himself to do that. We're a joint hour with Christ. He can't deny us. <laughs> and then he says, uh, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then in Galatians 4.29 but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. He's talking about using the illustration of Ishmael and Isaac and uh, uh, how that there was conflict and we have the conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. And uh, that that's born after the flesh, that's the old carnal mind and body and that's born after the Spirit is that that God's put in us. John 15, verse 18 and 19, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before he'd hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Well, that's what the Bible says. And uh, if the world hates you. Peter says we should be careful, though, that, it, that we're not hated because of evil doing. People go out and not, don't suffer as a murderers or... Uh, adulterer or whatever. Don't go out and commit some sin and then say, oh, I'm suffering for Christ's sake. No, we're suffering because of our meanness. We're suffering for Christ's sake when we do what's right and then we're persecuted for doing right. And the Lord says, "You, if the world hates you. So persecution. And let me close with a purpose. Back in Romans again, 8, verse 17. And the children then ours, ours of God, and join ours with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. The purpose, that we may be glorified together. Not just glorified, but glorified together. That's the purpose. This matter of adoption, the purpose of redemption uh, was for our adoption and that we might be glorified together. John 17, 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He said, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory.
This is the purpose that God has done all he's done. We may share in his glory for all eternity. Now that's love, isn't it? <laughs> the Lord had it all before we ever came along. And uh, I've been blessed over and over by the meaning of the name Jehovah, which means the self-existent one. That can only be said about God. God is existent within himself. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need the earth. He doesn't need angels. He doesn't need anything. Before there was any of it, there was God. And he's the self-existent one. He, is, he, is, he was existent within himself. But he desired to share it with you and I. And that's what it's all about. Even he made man, created man, put him on the earth. And I believe, I believe when God created the earth and the animals and, and uh, the, veg the vegetation and everything God created, I believe that his whole purpose in mind was to put, put a man there. But that's what it's all about. Was, it was you and I. And then man... Messed up bad. But God loved man so much. He is willing to be our Redeemer and take our place in our judgment. That we could share in his glory forever. I, you know, that's, that's a little hard for me to comprehend. God would love me before I was ever born. God loved me before... I ever got saved, and he loves me after I'm saved and, and uh, wants me to share in that eternal glory. What a Savior that we have. Let's bow our heads.